Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. We're going to close out our division previews with this week with a look at the Atlantic Division. Before we get underway, just wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Joining me today, as always, are my two co-hosts, Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's going well, Brian. It's uh, somewhat early for me this time around, which is weird because I'm always used to late hours when I'm recording with you guys. So this is uh, very surreal. Yeah, I, we appreciate the flexibility there. Uh Dinner time for you. It's even earlier for us. Oh. I've been up since 7 because I had to go get a Super Nintendo today. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Seven? Yeah. Wow, Brian. Yeah. It's not like I was woken up at five by my six-year-old. No, no. Seven. <laughs> hey. Good Lord. I don't have a kid yet for that exact reason. I have an annoying dog. Yet. That's it. <laughs> uh, Sarah, how's it going with you? good i'm slightly jealous of your super nintendo but <laughs> remain mainly hurt that they didn't put the ninja turtle game on there oh, i know i'm really oh, yeah. I, I haven't even touched it yet because i need to get through a little bit of writing today and i know it's just going to be like <laughs> five hours of mario kart once i open that thing um we also have a special guest today joining us we have jared dubin who is a prolific freelancer jared how's it going I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. I gotta say, I feel like a little bit of a fraud. I only got up at 8 o'clock today. Oh no. <laughs> Don't worry. Usually I sleep till like 9 because I'm basically unemployed. Um, Jared, <laughs> uh, before we get started, could you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at jadubin5. I usually put up all my work there there's a, a link in my bio to my personal website where you can find all my archives at the various different places that i've written i still pop up at vice sports at fan side into the step back and several other places as well 
Very good, yeah. Please give Jared a follow. He's a great resource, especially if you are a Knicks loyalist. And if you are a Knicks loyalist, well, you've had... Quick... What are you doing with your life? <laughs> that, that is the first question. Uh, but yeah, you've had a, quite an interesting summer. So, Jared, even before the Carmelo Anthony trade, we were, we were saying we wanted to have a Knicks guy on for this episode. Because, as you know, I'm Philly, and I didn't want to inundate Mort and Sarah with more of that. Uh, luckily, the mellow trade happened, so now we have even more to talk about. Uh, so we actually, we had one podcast last week where we discussed kind of just the instant gut reaction ramifications of it, but now that we've all had some time to process what it means, you know, we mostly focused on the OKC side last week, so now we can look at the Knicks side this week. And Jared, I want to start by asking you, you know, Carmelo is now gone. So Christoph Porzingis is now the face of the Knicks franchise. That means he's going to have more defensive attention sent his way. If he struggles, the New York media is going to be all over him. Do you think he's ready for that kind of pressure? I don't know that it matters whether he's ready for the pressure or not because it's going to happen either way. Mm. Um, you know, He's been sort of a media and fan darling so far because it's pretty much been established that he's going to be the face of the franchise and everybody loves him for that, but he hasn't actually dealt with the reality of it just yet. It's always been like, oh, well, you know, we've got to get Carmelo out of here so we can get the Kristaps era underway. And now, obviously, you know, whether he's ready or not, it is underway. And it's going to change things for him in his dealings with the media. It's going to change things for him in his dealings with fans. It's going to change things for him on the court. Um, you know, based on everything I've seen from him over the two years that he's been with the team, I think he'll be able to handle that. He's, you know, a very personable guy, a very likable guy. He deals with the media very well. Obviously, the fans have grown to love him very quickly. And I think his game will lend itself well eventually to being the focal point of an offense. I think the issue on that front is that he's a big guy, and a lot of the times he is going to need guards to get him the ball. And the Knicks have, I think, you can double-check me on this, but they have, I think, negative four guards on the team. <laughs> and and none of them are really equipped at creating shots for others. So I think that's going to be a little bit difficult for him this year. And obviously that will lead to a, a whole lot of losses for them because they're going to stink at defense too. Um, yeah. So I think there's going to be uh, you know some growing pains there, but I don't think he'll – it's not going to be like he's going to crumble under the weight of having to carry the franchise. I think that he's – perfectly well equipped to do that once they actually put him in a good position to succeed yeah right <laughs> the lack of talent surrounding him is going to be an issue this year but hey you know the nba just approved lottery reform so this is the year to tank if you're going to do it mort i want to ask you about uh wait jared what is your nickname for frank natilakita again it's like frankie smokes is that right yeah it's frankie smokes it's um it's sort of like a. it's a play on the nickname that uh Jason Concepcion, who you all know is uh, from The Ringer and The Maester and Watch the Thrones and or Talk the Thrones, whatever it was called this year, and Binge Mode, um, he came up with the name Frankie Nicotine. Oh. So I shortened it. To, I shortened it to Frankie Smokes oh because God. I think it's cooler. That's spectacular. <laughs> so we're only going to refer to him exclusively as Frankie Smokes from here on out. And Mort, I'm going to ask you about Frankie Smokes himself because we've got this was the year of the point guard. Uh, in the NBA draft, we had five selected in the top 10, two in the top two. Uh, Dennis Smith at nine drew a lot of attention at Summer League because he played so well. De'Aaron Fox, mm. you know, is probably going to get not as much run this year because the Kings have George Hill, but he's viewed as the 
point guard of the future in Sacramento. And then we have Frankie right. Smokes, who I feel like didn't get as much attention or hype. Or, you know, there, there was a story especially about Dallas, how, like, they tried to mislead the Knicks into thinking that they wanted Frankie Smokes and they really wanted Desmond Jr. And then when they took uh, Frankie Smokes at eight, the Mavericks got really excited. So do you yeah. think do you think Frankie Smokes... <laughs> I love that name. It's a great name, it really yeah. Is. Uh, <laughs> do you think he is the caliber of player... Where like you know the Knicks aren't going to immediately regret not taking Dennis Smith Jr. over him, or do you think you know that that's oh. already going to be a mistake? No, I I don't think it's you can't answer that. Uh, this so uh, neither have stepped foot on an NBA court really so far. And, and to be fair, Nitsilikina has a great physical profile at a point guard position, six five, you know, roughly two hundred pounds. And there's a lot of potential there. He's got great court vision. He's defensively acclimated and and that three ball could come along pretty well so i'm not down on him by any stretch of the imagination it's just that when you have dennis smith who just showed that much and he's that athletic and has a scoring punch to him that the knicks really need it it, kind of compounds the fact that oh they didn't get that type of guy but that doesn't mean he's not going to be pretty damn good in the future and who knows like that european mentality might actually come in handy when be getting paired with chris tops as as uh, our favorite coach coach pavlovich have said several times it's that you know european players come over and and the level of ego that they bring with them is just significantly smaller Mm -hmm. they are more inclined to let uh, more established players get their turn or or establish himself to a greater extent so I think Nitsilikina in that way more mentally uh, complements Kristaps a lot more. But in terms of raw talent, I, I do think Dennis Smith Jr. has a little bit more of it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that Nitsilikina is going to be a bust or anything close to it. I, I'm still excited to see what he can do on the NBA level. Yeah, me too. I, I think, you know, it, he's going to unfairly, if Dennis Smith hits the ground running, it's like no matter what, he's always going to have that comparison. But, mm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to see him, too. I, I think I'm with you. I don't think he's, like, I don't think Knicks fans should already be out on him because Dennis Smith Jr. played well at Summer League. I'll say that much. No, but it's tradition, though. Yeah. Knicks fan has to be <laughs> out on, on somebody. Right. I mean, if they, and, and look, they booed Chris Tubbs. Yeah, look what happened. I mean, true. just, just. They they should just continue boo everyone. It's gonna be great. <laughs> right. uh, um, just quickly on that front, Knicks fans do boo everyone. Every pick since <laughs> yeah. Patrick Ewing has been booed, except for two guys, Mark Jackson and Andy Routens, and it's because they Ooh. went to New York colleges. Oh god! Oh Andy right. Routens. <laughs> hey, I mean, it worked with the Eagles. They booed McNabb, and he he worked out well for a while. So maybe maybe that is the play. Just boo all of your draft picks, and then they'll get pissed and turn out to be good. It's been working out super well for the Knicks over the last 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to put up a Ronaldo Balkman reference, but yeah, you, you get it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Sarah, I'm going to save the center question for Jerry because we talked about that last week. So I'm going to ask you about Tim Hardaway Jr., who signed uh, one of the more egregious contracts of the summer, four years, $71 million. Uh, it was like the Knicks thought we were back in 2016, and they handed a 2016 contract out in 2017. That said, you know, now they don't have Melo, so they need kind of a takeover go-to option on the wing. Do you think Hardaway Jr. can be that guy, and do you think he might actually return close to positive value on that contract? Well, 
I, I'm not gonna touch too much the contract. You guys know that's that's not my area of expertise. Uh, all I really, I'm coming around though. I'm coming around to I understand the basics of apparently the short term term deals are usually pretty good thing. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lock into the longer term deals. I'm getting there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the Knicks did anyway. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not clear how much it really matters this year. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you don't want to be locked in to that deal, but I, I don't think he's a takeover kind of guy. I think, you know, you can expect him to bump up his per game at scoring average a little bit. I think he's at like 10, so you get 15 maybe out of him, maybe a little more. Um, he's, he scores 64% of his shots in the restricted area. That's pretty good for a guy his size. Um, he has like a career 35% three-point shooter. You'd like to see that bump up a little bit. Um, but the thing is, like, more than 80% of his threes are assisted. So mm. it goes back to what Jared was saying about Kristaps as well. Like, who's passing him the ball? <laughs> That's the big <laughs> right. question mark this year for the Knicks. So ah, we're going we're gonna to have to see. I mean, hopefully, I think Frankie Smokes, you want to be that guy eventually. But <laughs> this year has to be just about like throw him into a bunch of pick and rolls with Kristaps and just see what you've got uh, I think the kid has a lot of potential but you know don't put a lot of pressure on it this year just get those reps in yeah yeah I mean I, I, I he played really well in Atlanta uh so I I think you know it, it's not going to be like a repeat of his first tenure in New York so that's mm-hmm. that's at least a slight silver lining. I, I you know he's gonna have a very tough time living up to that deal. As many of the wings, you know, like Kent Bazemore signed four years seventy last summer, did not live up to it. Evan Turner four years seventy did not live up to it. Like that's just a tough, you know, when you're making almost twenty million dollars a year, the expectations are so much higher for you. And if you're like kind of this complimentary wing player, it's often just not you're not gonna live up to that. But you know, I'm mildly optimistic, especially now that Melo's gone, that he can be that number two scoring option because really the Knicks, they just don't have anyone else. Like I, uh, Courtney Lee, like Doug McDermott, it's just, I don't know who else is going to slide into that role. So I feel like just by default, Hardaway Jr. is going to jack up 20 shots a game and then, you know, that's 20 points right there, hopefully. Um, Jared, we talked last week about, you know, Cantor came over in the Mellow deal. Uh, so now <laughs> the Knicks logjam at center is even more jammed because now you have Cantor, you have Willie Hernan Gomez, you have Kylo Quinn, and you have Joakim Noah once he comes back from his suspension. I think he's got 12 games left, if I'm not mistaken. So who would you like to see them start at center? Hernan Gomez, and it's not particularly close. Um, to me, at this point, any minute that Noah spends on the floor is a wasted minute. Um, he's whatever he is, 31, 39, who cares? He's <laughs> not part of the future in any way whatsoever. And, you know, even if he gives you, say, a 5% better chance to win the game than Hernan Gomez or Cantor do, well, that's not good for you in the immediate term anyway, uh, especially in the last year that tanking exists or the idea that this is going to solve tanking is nonsense anyway. Um, I think the Sixers <laughs> fan on the podcast would agree. Yes. Um, but I think it's got to be Hernan Gomez because, A, he is uh, under contract for you know a, a longer period of time at a extremely uh, good contract, one of the better 
non-rookie scale contracts in the league, non-rookie scale, non-max contracts in the league at this point, considering his production last year. He basically brings, I would say, like 80 to 90% of Cantor's offensive production with better mobility on defense for like one-ninth of the cost. <laughs> so I would much rather have him be that guy than Cantor, and Cantor can continue um, scoring at a slightly above average rate against bench defenders. Yeah, that's where we settled to last week, so I'm glad to hear we weren't totally off base because you know, I, I had to keep track of the Knicks for fantasy purposes at least toward the end of last year, and once Hernan Gomez moved into the starting lineup toward the end of last year when Noah got hurt and got suspended, it seemed like he and Kristaps played really well together. So I don't know, you know if they're really embracing this youth movement I don't know why they would shy away from that. Like, I feel like you'd want to continue building the chemistry between the two of them. But then the three of us also said, well, they are the Knicks, so Cantor's probably going to end up starting. They might end up starting like Doug McDermott or something. I don't know. Oh, God. Can we talk about another team? Yes, let's move on to the Brooklyn Nets before we get too depressed. Although, that might not help, actually. Uh Mort, we got to talk about D'Angelo Russell first and foremost because, you know, he, the Lakers basically gave up on him. They, once yeah. they got the number two pick, they knew they were going to get Lonzo Ball. The writing seemed to be on the wall for D'Angelo. And then right before the draft, they pulled the trigger, sent him to Brooklyn with Timothy Mozgov for Brooke Lopez in a late first round pick, which is, you know, given the Lakers' plans next year, it's basically they were trading for an expiring. Uh, so they, you know, they really, yeah. <laughs> they gave, they gave him up for a plan B basically. Uh, do you think he has any chance of kind of reviving his career in Brooklyn and making the Lakers regret giving him up for so little? I think you've asked me that question three times on this podcast, actually, <laughs> over the course of the off season. Probably. Uh, yeah. I will not change my answer. Yes. I think there's plenty of chances of him breaking out in Brooklyn. He's going to play. Uh, at a primary role, and he's probably going to get a hell of a lot more minutes than he did in Los Angeles. He's entering year three, which is always like that one year where you take that step up, where the NBA game kind of slows down for you. He's still got the ability to shoot. He's got ability to play make, and he's basically been handed the team. So I think there's every opportunity to uh, to be optimistic about his chances in Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm a big believer in him breaking out this season to to a, a pretty big extent. I would be surprised if he didn't do it like overwhelmingly so, like in 22, 23 point average. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm right with you. He's one of my favorite guys to target in middle rounds of fantasy this year because I just think a huge breakout is coming. Uh, you know, they they don't have that much young like high caliber talent. They have a lot of like mm. interesting flyer guys who we'll talk about in a little bit, but like they don't have the, you know, they just, because of the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett trade, like they didn't have the draft capital to get that like high upside young prospect. So like this was their one shot to get it. They're going to turn the team over him. I think, you know, Jeremy Lin's going to be there in the backcourt as well, which I think is only going to help because you can play, you know, the, the Lakers at the end of last year seemed to realize that D'Angelo, you don't necessarily want him as your full-time ball handler. So now, yep. next to Lynn, you can kind of play them interchangeably. Like, Russell could be, you know, they're not even, I don't even think they're going to, like, call one, like, the point guard and one the shooting guard. Like, they can bo- each play both roles. But, like, 
D'Angelo yep. will probably operate off the ball more than he does on the ball, which is probably better for him. Like he can play the complimentary ball handler ball handler role, serve as a catch yep. and shoot threat, uh, slash cut more, you know, work in transition more. I think, you know, I, I'm expecting big things from him this year. The attitude concerns seem, you know, who knows what if it was like the LA spotlight or you know the Nick Young thing like there like was just no getting oh, that in LA. don't bring up the Nick Young thing it was so stupid like Nick was the one who did something wrong there I'm just, oh I can't yeah. I, I I still don't understand it I think it it was blown out of proportion to to a perverse degree I yeah. don't think that one that one thing just kind of labeled him as like a problem child and you know like he he was just meant to have a career where he was immature for the for the duration of it it's just it's such baloney really right. i mean he's 21 and, and when that happened i think he was 20 like come on he's a yeah. kid jesus I don't, I don't know i mean it seemed to sour the lakers you know the reports that came out at the time said like the lakers locker room basically froze him out so i don't know if there was any getting past that in la particularly but like now that he's on a new team I'm hoping it's a non-issue. Like, it yeah, seems well, like he gets snitches the get stitches, and in a team like LA, I mean, look, we all know what magic he did in his spare time <laughs> when he was playing. Yeah. He sure as hell wasn't staying faithful or anything. So when someone you know <laughs> right. blows the whistle, it's like, oh, 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 that's not good. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think. I mean, I, I really don't think it's an issue. I'm all in on D'Angelo Russell for this season, which is also why I have Brooklyn as like not not going oh, into God. the playoffs. No, hey, <laughs> but I'm just saying I don't think they're going to be as bad as people think. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, I you know, I, I don't, you mentioned them as like a potential sleeper playoff team and I can't get there. Yeah. Um, it's the East. Yeah, Come I'm, on. I'm I, I alone with a broken leg could make the playoffs in the East. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> So bad. Uh, Sarah, I want to talk about Timofey Mozgov with you because Brook Lopez, you know, last year he like suddenly learned how to shoot three-pointers and he was by far the Nets' best player in large part because Jeremy Lin was hurt for most of the year and they just had no one else. So losing him is going to be, you know, a big deal. Uh, D'Angelo will help compensate for the offense, but now you've theoretically either got... <laughs> Mozgov is your starting center or a rookie and Jared Allen. So do you think Mozgov is as washed as he looked in L.A. last year? Or do you think he actually has a chance to play, you know, he's not going to be a huge scorer. But, like, can he continue to play decent defense and rebound at an above average rate and just give them whatever they need at center? He'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah, like, he's not going to be great, that's for sure, but... Um, you know, he was not, I, I don't even know if decent is the word, a decent role man last year. I think he scored like one point per possession, which isn't great as a pick and roll role man, but that's really, if he could just do that and somewhat try to gum up the lane on defense, that would be fine. Um, I think they need to get Jared Allen out there though. Um, I don't know how much he's ready, but I just want to see him develop, uh, he has the potential to be a great lob target in pick and roll. So I would like to see that. Um, Cause I just, I, I mean, it's hard sometimes to evaluate these teams that are so far into the rebuilding path. Uh, you know, 
you know that it's not going to be great on the floor, but you know you still want to see what they can put together. So really, the target for him is just be be a decent role man. Like I said, you know you hope hope that Alan Crabb you've got out there now who can hit the three can space for that action in the lane a little bit better, and you know just see what they can get going. You know you have Russell who who's proven that he can score. Lynn is a good pick and roll man, uh, ball handler, obviously. So I just I want to see if they can get a little something going there. <laughs> I think this is where the the Nets are going to be better than people think. Argument sort of falls apart. Um, I know that they should have Jeremy Lynn healthier than last season. They have D'Angelo Russell now. They have Alan Crabb now. But people are really underrating how much just the presence of Brooke Lopez lifted them toward the direction of competence and not having. That guy at that position is going to really hamstring them, I think, on both ends of the floor. They don't really have somebody they can defend, even, at center. And they certainly don't have someone that can step out and hit threes or provide the kind of role man presence or post-up presence that Lopez could. It's going to basically be entirely on Lynn, Russell, Crabb, Karis LeVert, and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson to carry them toward whatever they're going to do. And I'm not sure I see that happening just yet. Yeah, I, I really, I think... As we've all said, the Lopez thing is going to hurt them more than... Mm. I mean, he was just like... He flies under the radar because he played in Brooklyn last year and Brooklyn was so bad. But like, he played really well. He's going to be a really valuable addition to that Lakers team this year and it's why I'm higher on the Lakers than probably the average person out there right now. Um, so, Jerry, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I guess you could... Ugh, I, I like hesitate to even say this, but I guess you could try some like small ball with like Trevor Booker at the five, but that's not it, your rim protection is still going to be awful. Like there's no good solution unless Jared Allen is ready to go right away. Yeah, um, but let's let's talk about Allen Crab, Jared, because the Nets got him for absolutely nothing. Portland <laughs> regretted handing out. Uh, all of the money last year and had to salary dump some of it to just get away from the luxury tax. I think they were going to owe like $40 million or something in luxury tax this year if they kept their whole roster together. So they sent Crab for Andrew Nicholson, who they promptly waived. Crab now, theoretically, he should start, uh, move into a starting role at the three. I think he's already he's in a walking boot right now, I want to say. So he's missing a little bit of training camp time. Hopefully it's not too serious, but what do you expect from Crab this year? Do you think he breaks out now that he has more of an opportunity? I don't know that they really need him to necessarily break out. I think if he does basically what he's done in Portland the last couple of years, um, shoot 40% or better from three, play competent wing defense, um, you know, do a little bit with the ball in his hands, um, I think that that's basically what they're looking for from him. I know they view it as basically a $12 million a year contract because they traded, uh, you know, the Andrew Nicholson deal in it. But, you know, they actually do have to pay him whatever it is, 18 point right. whatever million a year. And if they want to move him, then it's an 18 point whatever it is, million dollar a year deal for whoever's going to absorb it. But they're playing basically with Monopoly money still at this point. Like they're not going anywhere special anytime soon so salaries are sort of irrelevant they just want to get guys that do specific things well and I think if he continues to shoot well and play uh, you know average to above average defense at the two and the three that's all they really want for him and I don't know that he's going to have the opportunity 
to break out, if you want to call it that, because, again, this is going to be an offense that's going to be run by Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would guess he'll get like a slight uptick in terms of volume, but I don't think he's going to suddenly start averaging 20 shots or 20 points a game. But, yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on. If he like settles in as that number three option, basically like what Otto Porter is in Washington – that's great. Like that's that's all they need from him. Um, more, they have no incentive to tank this year because their pick is headed to Cleveland unprotected. Mm. But this is the last year, so they actually have draft capital after this year. So though they have no incentive to tank, they also have a bunch of young prospects. Uh, you know who are just kind of that populates a lot of their roster. So who are you most excited to see? among their young guys. So you got like Karis LeVert, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Isaiah Whitehead, Jared Allen, as we mentioned before. Any of those guys really catch your eye? Isaiah Whitehead, just because of the potential, he did not have a great season last year, admittedly, but he did have those few games where I was kind of noticed, oh, he, he's got a little bit of swagger to him. Mm-hmm. Like He's got that hesitation dribble. He also shot a little bit better from downtown when I actually thought because he was very inefficient when he was at Seton Hall. So um, I- I'm kind of hoping that he takes a step up this year and, and seems to deliver a little bit more. I-, I like those guys who come in underrated and then keeps building up, and I-, I think he's got great size for the point guard position. I'm not sure whether he's a- like a full clear-cut point guard or if he's better suited to playing off the ball, mm-hmm. but we'll see. I-, I just like the potential. And Levert, obviously, like he-, he really showed a lot last year. He's played primarily small forward, so it's also going to be interesting to see if he can play some shooting guard minutes. You have a lot of guys at the wing position that need minutes, so that in itself is going to be a little bit tricky. Um, maybe they're like you suggested, Brian. Maybe they have to go super, super small at some point <laughs> yeah. and, and play some some of their shooting guards at power forward. I'm not sure, but that at least that could be interesting. It's going to be it's going to space the floor at least. Um, but yeah, the only guy I'm sort of hesitant a little bit on is is Hollis Jefferson. I, I I need to see that jump shot before I really really get excited. I love the energy, I love the rebounding, I love the defense, the intensity, the energy level. But that jump shot that needs to come around. Mm-hmm. It really does. Otherwise, you just you're gonna put a cap on his career. Yeah, I mean, he reminds me of like a poor man's Michael Kidd girl, Chris, basically. Yeah. Yep. But I'm glad that Brooklyn has realized because he has no jump shot, put him at the four. Like if you put him mm. at the three, he's just screwed. But if you put him at the four, like, you know, he's at least somewhat of a mismatch offensively. Like even if he doesn't have the jump shot, he's probably quicker than a lot of the bigger guys who are going to be guarding him. Yeah. And, you know, he's got the body to defend fours, especially now that most of the league is going small anyway. So I'm actually intrigued by him. I, I think he's, you know, the Nets, like, sneaky, I just, we've talked about this before, but Sean Marks, their general manager, deserves so much credit for how much young, intriguing talent they've added in the last 18 months, despite having almost no way to add it with, you know, their draft pick situation. It was just, like, what he inherited was the worst situation in the league, and he somehow turned that into, you know, they ha- he has uh, Russell. Hallis Jefferson, Levert, Whitehead, Jared Allen. Like, that's a really impressive young haul. And those guys might not turn out to be superstars, aside from possibly Russell, but, like, they're all good young role players, which is what the Nets did not have 18 months ago. So 
Once again, round of applause to Sean Marks. Uh, let's move on to the Boston Celtics, who had quite an offseason of their own, highlighted by the recent acquisition of Kyrie Irving. So, Sarah, let's start there. Kyrie, you know, when he made his trade request, part of it was to get out from LeBron James's wing. He basically said, you know, he wanted to, like, push his limits and see how far he could go and see if he could be the face of a team. So... He's now in Boston. You know, he and Gordon Hayward might split that responsibility. Like, Al Horford will happily cede the spotlight to those guys, and he'll just be the number three option. Um, So do you think Kyrie Irving has an MVP caliber campaign in him this year? I mean, no, not not MVP. (laughs) Um, I just don't think he does enough else besides scoring to be a legitimate MVP candidate, of course. You know, stranger things have happened. But I don't see that in the cards this season. But I am intrigued, you know, that said, because he does have this this new situation. I'm sure he feels he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, wants to see what he can do for himself and, and maybe to prove some things to some other people. So I'm interested to just see how he attacks this season. Um, is he going to try to, you know, be a flamethrower and just – destroy everyone in front of him is he gonna try to show that he can run a team a little more than maybe what he's shown before that's that's what i'm looking at this season what's what's his approach to this year Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'm interested to see whether brad stevens can unlock him as more than just a scorer like it seems like he's a creative enough coach where we're gonna see different facets of Kyrie's game i'm Mm -hmm. most excited to see that because you know i don't think He's not going to enter the year as even, like, a top three MVP candidate. But I think he could, like, enter that dark horse race and, like, at least move into the top five by the end of the year. Not sure it's going to happen. I know your boy Kawhi. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know he's going to, you know, he enters as one of the front runners. So I don't know if he's going to overtake Kawhi, especially because, you know, the defense. Kawhi is better. Well, that, (laughs) A, that, but, you know, the defense is a concern for sure. Um, But. I do think we're we're looking at a career year for Kyrie uh, as long as all of these Boston guys can kind of click quickly in training camp. But it seems like they're all going to put their egos aside, which is what they need. Uh, I, I actually have a question about Kyrie mm-hmm. for everyone here. So when he came in into the league as the first pick, like obviously there's always some sort of pressure on you, especially going number one. And he did play three seasons in Cleveland, so there was that, you know, responsibility of trying to carry a franchise. But he was young, so there's also this understanding of him acclimating to the league. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the first time there's ever been like hardcore pressure on him from start to finish. Like for what Boston gave up for him, and now coming into this traditional team and you know really having to be like the number one guy because that's what they basically said that he's going to be he's been playing with LeBron for free for three seasons and i'm just sitting there going can, can he really can he deliver on that sort of pressure where do you guys stand on that because i'm not sure at all hmm. jared what do you think i think that it's not clear that a Kyrie-led team 
can go anywhere special. Um, you know, we saw him have, like you said, three years of opportunity to do it, and the Cavs did basically nothing. Uh, the good thing for the Celtics is that this isn't a Kyrie-led team. He's either the second or third best player on the team, certainly behind Gordon Hayward and maybe behind Al Horford. And all they really need him to do is basically what he did in Cleveland with a little bit more ball movement involved. And Brad Stevens pushes everybody to move the ball more. So I, I don't know that I agree that necessarily all of the pressure is on him in terms of the actual way they play on the court. Maybe external pressure... Um, you know, for for his impact to be perceived mm. as being more than it was in Cleveland, just because of the way he orchestrated his move out of there. Right. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, personally, I I I I still looking at the way that he has. Yeah, exactly as you said, Jared. That the, the way he maneuvered himself to get out of Cleveland, like him wanting that role, it's it's also encouraging in the same light. I just think that when you had LeBron as sort of like a fallback for three seasons, th- there's going to be a long period of adjustment when you are one of the, yeah. Uh, well, you, you said he, he's probably not going to be the, like the main cog in it, like Gordon Hayward is, but I, I could have just imagined him coming to Cle- to the Celtics that he probably has a different hat on in that respect. I think Kyrie himself looks at that this situation as going, I have to be the alpha male, and there's no two ways about it. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, he thought that he was the alpha male in Cleveland too, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, so, Jared, let's talk about the other alpha male, as you mentioned, Gordon Hayward. He's reunited with his former college coach and Brad Stevens. Just put up career best numbers in his final year in Utah. So, what do you expect out of him this year in Boston? I expect him to do pretty much the same things he's been doing in Utah over the last couple of years. He's going to play on and off the ball. He's going to play good defense at the two and the three. He'll occasionally, um, you know, step into sort of a small ball four role. He's going to do anything and everything. He's, he's going to be really damn good at it. Um, I don't know that you can be much better than he was last year. You know, he was at, what was it, like 22, I think, 22, 5, and 4, or something like that, shot. Mm-hmm almost 50 40 90 he was at like i think it was like 46 40 and 85 or something like that so he was you know really damn good um offensively and then certainly he plays good defense at both wing positions as well so i basically just expect to see even more of that and he's gonna get even better looks at the basket because he's got more threatening offensive teammates now. Like, I don't know necessarily that he has definitively better teammates. Like, George Hill was really good last year. Rudy Gobert is, um, you know, either better than everybody on the Celtics or close to it. Uh, So he had good teammates in Utah last year, but he also had more of a responsibility to carry the entire offensive load. And now he's got Al Horford and Kyrie Irving and several other guys that can make plays either on their own or for others. So he's going to be really good, but that's not to say that he wasn't already really good in the first place. So what I mean is he's going to be really good and there's going to be like, oh my God, Gordon Hayward's a superstar now. The guy was already a superstar. He just played in Utah, not Boston. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally, totally. And I'm glad you brought up the defense too, because I think that – that flew somewhat under the radar, and Ben Dowsett of Basketball Insiders, who's a big Utah fan, was like pounding the table last year and being like, "Hey guys, Gordon Hayward like plays good defense now. Pay attention." Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think that's going to be a really valuable. You know, losing Jay Crowder, I think, is going to hurt Boston a lot. But 
Hayward and then some combination of guys we'll talk about right now, actually, will help uh, make up for that. So, Mort, they've got mm-hmm. Isaiah, or sorry, Kyrie at the one. You got Hayward, whatever. Brad Stevens doesn't believe in positions. So, Hayward, yeah. Marcus Morris as some combination of wing forward, Horford at right. center. Who's the fifth guy in that starting lineup, do you think? Is it Marcus Smart? Is it Jalen Brown? Is it Jason Tatum? Is it someone else I'm forgetting? Oh, yeah. It's probably going to come down to Smart and, and Jalen Brown. Smart has dropped 20 pounds and looks great. Muscle watch. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. Muscle watch for sure. Like, he looks really, really good. But I am not sure whether I actually prefer him coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- there is uh, there is definitely something to that. Have this two way guy coming off the pine and and playing twenty eight minutes and just ravaging hell on everyone else. So I I would probably give the position to Jalen Brown also because he's a little bit more versatile. He's a little bit bigger. He's very athletic. Um, and I know Brad Stevens doesn't believe in positions. That's great. I'm I'm all for that. But he can play multiple positions still. Where you know he can. He can actually go up and guard like small power forwards, and he's quick enough to guard like bigger ones. Mm-hmm. He's very versatile defensively. So, yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna give that to Jalen Brown. And by the way, I know that Marcus Smart guarded <laughs> Paul Millsap yeah, in oh the playoffs, God. so I'm not gonna say that Smart isn't versatile as a defender. But at least Brown has the size, and I like the the fit of of Smart coming off the bench anyway. So I'm kind of hoping that's the dynamic. Yeah, I agree with that. And if I hear one more Boston fan bring up Marcus Smart guarded Paul Millsap in the playoffs, we get it. We saw. We all watched the playoffs. As oh, well. God, I, it, was, it was ridiculous. I know. I mean, it was really impressive. Was so but good. like, that's what every Boston fan, every time they tri- talk about like trading Marcus Smart, and they're always like, "No, we can't trade Marcus Smart. He guarded Paul Millsap in the playoffs." Like, I'm, well, I've I've just decided to like it's Boston fans has become a little bit white noise to me. So. <laughs> Yeah, especially this summer. Yeah, I wish I could tune them out, but unfortunately, we're going to have quite the rivalry over the next half decade, so I'm preparing my war now. Uh, But yeah, I I agree with you, Mort. I think Jalen Brown, you know, again, you just don't need to care about positional designations. I don't care who is the, you know, quote-unquote shooting guard, if it's Gordon Hayward or Jalen Brown. Like, you have three rangy, versatile forwards in Brown, Hayward, Marcus Morris, just trot them out, figure out who they guard. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Like, Morris will guard power forwards. And then between Hayward and Brown, just do it on a night-to-night basis. But, yeah, I think smart off the yeah, bench. Yeah, and switch accordingly. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it just yeah. gives them such a dynamic starting five. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that including Jay Crowder in that uh, Kyrie trade, like part of the consideration, I'm sure, was we have Jalen Brown and we have Jason Tatum, both of whom play the same, you know, quote unquote, play the same position as Jay Crowder. So like that created more opportunity for those two guys, which I think, you know, ultimately it might hurt the Celtics in the short term because they're just younger and less experienced and Jay Crowder fit that three and D role really well, but it would should behoove them in the long run because you're getting those guys meaningful reps. So by the time the playoffs come around, you know, they're not, like, wet behind the ears. They'll actually have played a full season and played meaningful minutes. Um, Sarah, let's, before we move on from the Celtics, uh, Ian Levy of Fansided, who we've had on before, 
uh, you know, he does these daily email threads for the step back. And I, it was either yesterday or the day before he posed the question of whether the Boston Celtics actually got worse this summer instead of better, given all of their turnover. I think they have like four players coming back from last year's team. So a lot of new faces in Boston. Where do you stand on that? Do you think they're going to be better or worse than they were last year? You threw it to the Spurs fan for the the continuity talk. Yeah, sure did. (laughs) Uh, There's definitely something to be said for continuity, no question. Um, Of course, you know, Spurs are getting dogged, well, for many reasons. But, uh, yeah, for basically bringing the same team back, which, you know, there are some, some pros to that. That said, I really think eventually... Boston's going to be better off. I think they have a lot of young talent, so it may not pay off right away. Um, but I do think hopefully once they get rolling, uh, even maybe towards the end of this season, we start to see that. I think you know Jason Tatum has a lot of potential. Hopefully, I, I'd like to see him kind of sneak into the starting lineup eventually, though I'm not clear that it would happen this year. Uh, with Mort, that, that Brown is probably a good choice right now. Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I think they are going to be better. I don't think they got worse, but yes, it may there may be a dip initially because they're having to adjust to so much turnover. I think that's to be expected. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable reasonable take. I, I'm trying to pull up his argument here. Uh, While you're looking that up, I think I, I it think... should be noted that the Celtics outperformed their point differential by five wins last season. And that even if they get better, mm. they may not have a better record than they did last year because they weren't actually as good as they were last year. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find... Okay, here we go. So he his argument was they replaced Isaiah with Kyrie. He finds it hard to believe Irving will produce the historic levels Isaiah did last season. Replacing Jay Crowder with Hayward was a big offensive upgrade, but a smaller yet still important defensive downgrade. Replaced Olenek with Aaron Baines. Replaced Amir Johnson and Jonas Derebko with Marcus Morris. Lost Avery Bradley, um, you know, who will... Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown will split those minutes, so uh, offensive downgrade, slight defensive improvement. So a lot of it was also, you know, losing some depth uh, the continuity thing. I, I think there's an argument there, um, but I'm with you, Sarah, that by the time the playoffs roll around, I, I, you know, it doesn't matter like if they don't win as many games. It, the question is, are they more or less competitive yeah. with Cleveland? And I think, you know, C- Cleveland also <laughs> underwent a lot of changes, and I guess we'll have to see. Like, if, I, if Isaiah Thomas isn't healthy... I'd say Boston, you know, by the time playoffs roll around, will be the the favorite to make it out of the East. Um, but, like, given how badly Cleveland embarrassed them in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, I, I think it was good of the Celtics to realize they had to do something uh, drastic to kind of, you know, push this thing forward. Um, and I think they will be more competitive against the likes of Cleveland, maybe Golden State. I mean, I think Golden State could still handle them pretty easily in the finals if that were to happen but you know at least they're moving in the right direction even if it meant cashing in some of Danny Ainge's long prized assets so that's where I stand on the Celtics uh Jared let's move to the Toronto Raptors 
who, you know, they lost, they also lost some valuable depth. Um, but I think the, the big question there, at least to start, is DeMar DeRozan, who, you know, he put up career best numbers last year, uh, close to like 27 points per game, um, shouldered even more of an offensive load than he already has. Still isn't shooting three-pointers at a high volume. I think he had 0.4 per game. Uh, after the playoff ended, or after they lost in the playoffs, uh, Dwayne Casey said, you know, that's kind of his next step. He needs to start shooting threes, and there have been videos coming out this summer showing him doing so. So do you think this is the year he actually adds that to his game, or does he need to? No, DeMar, DeRo- DeMar DeRozan is not going to start shooting threes. We hear this every damn year. It's not going to happen. Probably so, yeah. yeah. Do you think he needs to to be like a top 20 player, or do you think he's fine just being this like mid-range god? I don't know that even if he starts shooting threes, he'd be a top 20 player. I think he's... You know, in the the range of that anyway, probably, you know, in the 10, 15 spots behind that range. But just because he starts shooting threes doesn't mean he's going to start making threes. Right. So, (laughs) you know, um, I think if he does what he did last year, that's all the Raptors uh, are going to need from him. Uh, He's still not their best player. That's still Kyle Lowry. But he provides something really important for them, and especially with the depth that they lost this offseason, I think it's really important that he soaks up a whole lot of possessions and scores at an above-average clip of efficiency. Yeah, which is what he did last year. So I'm I'm assuming he's going to be at least, again, north of 25 points per game. Because uh, as you mentioned, they lost a couple valuable uh, role players. They did, however, more. They picked up C.J. Miles from the Pacers. Mm-hmm. Now they have, they lost Amari Carroll. They lost uh, P.J. Tucker. They lost Patrick Patterson. So... Basically, all their options from the three last year are now gone. Who do you think starts at the three this year? Do you think Miles gets that de facto, or do you think Norman Powell has a chance? Well, with Bruno Capoclo still being one year away now, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it should be C.J. Miles. Better size, better volume shooter, um, also better efficiency, if I'm not mistaken. I, I haven't really looked at Norman Powell's numbers. I know he's still a strong shooter, but he's just not the same caliber of Miles. And with DeMar not taking that three-point shot, or more importantly, not hitting those three-point shots, mm-hmm. you just need that sort of spacing going forward. And CJ also adds that element. He can actually put a little bit of small ball four as well, so you can move him around a little bit better. Um, but and, and again, Powell is a strong defender and an upcoming two-way player. So much like the argument I made for Marcus Smart coming off the bench mm-hmm. uh, as just a beast, I would like to see Norman Powell get that opportunity and get those added extra minutes that the, the bench openings open up for. Yeah, I think Miles is better suited to be like a complimentary option and he doesn't need that many touches. He can serve as more of a catch-and-shoot yeah. threat, as you alluded to. Whereas Powell, like, I think he has the potential to kind of be a microwave scorer off the bench especially with Terrence Ross gone like that's he you know I I wouldn't be totally shocked if he's in the six man of the year race especially you know early on um I would be shocked if he wasn't yeah well my boy Dario we all know my boy Dario is gonna win (laughs) well oh my god here comes the Philly love you said six man race Brian 
It's not all Philly. Right. It's not going to be a race. Yeah. I, it's a race for second place because Dario's going to win. Oh, yeah, so okay. Norm, yeah. Will be, oh, God. Norm will be in contention for second place. This this next team we have, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to tune you out for 25 damn minutes. Yeah, Probably the best play. Uh, yeah. Sarah, do you think the Raptors are ever going to stop hating Jonas Valanciunas? Or is he, like, are they ever going to play him more than 30 minutes a game? Or do you think... You know, they've talked about sliding Abaka to the five at times. Uh, both Jakob Pertl and Pascal Siakam played well at Summer League, and it sounds like they're going to start pushing him for minutes. Do you think he, like, staves off all of these challenges and finally breaks out, or is this just who he is in Toronto? Yeah, it's you can basically go back to what Jared said about is, is DeMar finally going to shoot, start shooting threes? Are they going to, you know, play him more minutes and give him more touches? No, I, we've talked about this the last few years, and it's just, I think we've passed that point. It's, it's not going to happen at this point. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind being wrong about that, but I don't see it. Um, I, I don't really love the guys around him, um, you know, the other options, but I'm sure that, that the Raptors are going to mess around with that a little bit. They're not going to play Jonas. 30 minutes plus so we'll see how that goes yeah yep. i'm on the same page um his value is as a guy that can soak up a lot of possessions and use them you know at above average efficiency but that's not going to happen on this team because there are two considerably better options to do that and if you're a big guy that isn't touching the ball a lot offensively and you can't stretch the floor and on the other end you can't protect the rim or defend in space then you're not a guy who should be playing over 30 minutes a game. So it's not going to happen. Yeah. It, I mean, he just doesn't offer the type of rim protection they need. I like the idea of – I don't want Ibaka to be their full-time starting five, but I like the idea of playing him there in small ball units. I think, you know, it could be interesting, especially because he can now splice the floor. He's hitting threes at at least an average rate. Hopefully he gets his shot-blocking numbers back up. Um, and then I, I'm interested to see what they have in these young guys. Like they didn't play all that much last year, but like both of those guys really showed flashes in summer league and like all the reports from training camp that I'm seeing are pretty glowing so far about both of them. So, you know, they, they shopped JV for much of the summer. Couldn't find a taker because no one can trade a big man, uh, in today's NBA. And it seems like, I don't think they're going to like shoehorn him in for 35 minutes a game just to boost his trade value. It just seems like he's destined to play somewhere around 25, 28 minutes a game. Uh, they should move him for Robin Lopez, actually. That would make mm-hmm. so much sense for the Raptors. They get a legitimate, you know, rim protector, a guy who on occasion can switch out a little bit, um, a, a great offensive rebounder as well. That would just mm-hmm. make so much sense to me. Yeah, and the Bulls... They have no incentive well, yeah. to play defense, so that would actually help them too. <laughs> no, right? Mm-hmm. And and Jonas is still, I believe, twenty four. You know, he just he turned twenty five, but still, it's yeah. young enough to still jump on that core, right? Right. So, yeah. Well, he's then ten years too young to be on the Bulls. Oh, obviously, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, look, he was he was drafted six years ago, so it's adding another lottery pick. That's true. Right. That is a good yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the car packs pitch. Um, Jared, before we move on to the Sixers, let's talk about the point guard spot. You mentioned Kyle Lowry as their best player. 
they lost Corey Joseph and like I don't think the CJ Miles thing ended up being a sign and trade like officially, but it was a de facto sign and trade. So they traded Corey Joseph to the Pacers and then CJ Miles just like, oh, coincidentally signed in Toronto. So now all they have behind Lowry is Delon Wright and Fred Van Vliet. Lowry has had issues staying healthy, especially toward the ends of seasons. Last year he had a wrist injury picked up right after the All-Star break, caused him to miss like the final month and a half almost. If or when Kyle Lowry goes down again for an extended period, do you think Delon or Fred can carry the load in his absence? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. easy. Yeah, well, uh, Lowry is, you know, either the second or third best point guard in the East. He's, uh, you know, like DeRozan, like a top 20 to 30 player. Um, you know, I think considerably better than DeRozan because of what he brings on defense, the fact that he can shoot threes. Um, he's really good. Like, you're not replacing him with DeLon Wright or Fred Van Vliet, especially with, you know, the, the fact that they lost a bunch of depth this year. It's just... They cannot withstand a Kyle Lowry injury. Yeah, it seems. I I really I understand why they had to lose Joseph because you know they needed to fill that that void at the three. But like, it really feels like this team is playing with fire. Where if Lowry goes down and it's not like he has a perfect track record of health, like they could go plunging down the standings. And I guess the only consolation is that the East is so bad that it would really take like a full season injury for them to probably fall out of the playoff race but of the of the big four in the east toronto is the one i'm feeling least confident about just because you know they they lack i guess washington's depth isn't great either but they they lack some real depth behind their most important pieces and it has me a little worried more it's time the moment you've been waiting for. Let's talk about the Sixers. Uh, and I'm actually, we're not going to start with Joel Embiid because I need a couple minutes to emotionally prepare for that. So let's start with Ben Simmons, who is playing five on five. You know, he, he suffered the foot fracture last year in training camp, um, missed his entire rookie season, missed summer league. Uh, playing five on five now, quote unquote, dominating the gym. We've started to see some videos trickle out from scrimmages and such where. You know, he's running, they weren't kidding, He's he is their, like, full-time ball handler, you know, in half-court sets. Uh, Brett oh. Brown has said, you know, in transition, Markel can run it too, but, like, half-court sets, they are really running their offense through Ben Simmons. So, how do you see that working out for the Sixers this year? That's an impossible question, because we have only seen him in Summer League so far, mm-hmm. but if we base off based on what we saw in summer league um last season it's really encouraging like he can make some extremely difficult passes and he can make passes on the run when he's entering the post and it's like slowing down it, it seems like he constantly has this uh court awareness regardless of how fast the entire offense is moving so it it's really encouraging to hear that he's doing this even in half court sets right now he's also spent a whole year on the bench like soaking up players tendencies so he comes in knowing okay this guy likes the ball here this guy likes it here so that's a great asset to have and if he can become like a 
and Giannis under the Kumpo sort passer or even like the Braun passer ask like that that's obviously going to be huge. Um, I would still like to see that jump shot come around so that could open up a little bit more space because that's also going to open up his passing game more. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, I'm I'm encouraged, obviously. Yeah. Hey, I saw one clip of him dribbling in transition and he pulled up for like a 12 foot off balance jumper that looked ugly as hell but it went in <laughs> so i'll take it uh yeah yeah it was no it was not i have not seen a single three-point shot from him probably for good reason um and yeah that is that's obviously the big concern with him coming into the year and it, it was interesting brett brown said uh he acknowledged like because of that limitation it really does restrict the type of players you can put around simmons which you know we can talk about Darius Saric a little bit later if we need to, but it, it like begs the question of whether Simmons and Saric can ever see the floor together because Saric is not a great three-point shooter either. So it seems like Brown is basically saying, I need four above-average long-range shooters next to Simmons because you know we, we can't play another guy who can't pace the floor. So it doesn't bode well for a guy like Jalil Okafor, who doesn't have that three-point shot, like it seems to bode well for Rashawn Holmes if Embiid is forced to miss time. Um, Jared Bayless, I think, is actually going to see a little bit more time than one might expect. Uh, you know, he missed yeah. most of his, like all but three games last year with a wrist injury. But are we closing the door on Dario Saric as a shooter? No, no, no. I don't no, think no, so. No, I mean, he's... He was so he's so young. He still canned over a hundred hundred triples last year. I know it's only on thirty one percent, but I mean, I good lord. I mean, there's some potential there, and look what he played with when Embiid was out. Yeah, so. I know. Yeah, I mean, I it, they still have this big man logjam, which is not going to get resolved anytime soon. But like a Simmons Sarich four or five combo would be really interesting. You know, you're going to lack some rim protection, but. Like, both of those guys can pass the ball like wizards. So, it would really, at least, you know, you're probably giving up 110 points on defense, but you might be scoring 112 per 100 possessions on offense. So, maybe it makes up for it. Uh, All right, Sarah, I'm ready to talk about Embiid. Let's do it. They have not cleared him for five on five yet. He's been, like, working off to the side in training camp. They say... He's targeting the first game of the season, but he's already come out and said, like, do I think I'm going to play 82 games? No, that's not realistic. So if or when he is forced to miss time, do you think Rashawn Holmes and Jaleel Okafor are enough to hold down the fort? Well, we've talked about Rashawn Holmes. We like him. I think I think uh, we're like not going to replace what Embiid can do, obviously. The guy is completely game-changing, season-changing type individual. We know that. Um, but I think Holmes is a really intriguing kind of kind of role man. Okafor, you know, he does have a nice back-to-the-basket game uh, that, you know, we've seen become an endangered species in the league these days. But, you know, yeah, it's it's going to be a hit, obviously. You know that. I don't have to tell you that, Brian. <laughs> if if Embiid can't play, it's not going to be great but you know Holmes is something to to <laughs> try to be optimistic about for sure yeah I mean Holmes as I mentioned the fact that he can shoot threes I think if Embiid or when Embiid is forced to miss time I think he will be 
the starting center just because of the concerns Brett Brown has with Ben Simmons and spacing. As I'm really starting to talk myself into skinny Okafor again, and I feel really <laughs> dirty about it. Like, I just, I you know, he hasn't played with an above-average point guard ever. So, like, maybe having someone who can actually get him an entry pass at, like, you know, when he posts up and, like, actually get him an entry pass on time where they can't double-team him right away, like, maybe there's a little bit of hope. He lost, like, 20 pounds this offseason, so maybe he's not going to be as slow-footed defensively. Am I just grasping Is this the bargaining stage? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. But uh, Zach Harper of FanRag Sports actually had a really good piece about Okafor today and, like, kind of what realistic expectations are for him moving forward and whether he can bounce back. So I would encourage everyone to check that out at FanRag Sports because I think, you know, I don't think Okafor is a lost cause. I don't know if he's ever going to hit a ceiling in Philly, especially if Embiid's healthy, he's not because they can't play together. But, you know, if Embiid, God forbid, was forced to miss the whole season, I still think Holmes is going to play more minutes than him. So, like, I think there is an opportunity for him elsewhere to thrive. I don't know if it's ever going to happen in Philly, but I don't think he. we should like completely write him off as a bust already. I think the knee injury that lingered since like March of 2016 has contributed. You know, him having to play next to Nerlens for a lot of the year, and like that, that just clogs your spacing so badly because those two can't shoot. You know, I, I think in the right situation, Okafor could be at least like an average NBA player. I don't think he's ever going to return positive value on the number three pick, but I don't think he's a total bust as of yet. Uh, Jared, <laughs> basketball Twitter, as it is wont to do, freaked out this week because Mike Schmitz of ESPN, formerly of Draft Express, posted a video from Sixers training camp with Markel Fultz uh, shooting some ugly-looking free throws. The... the the release point was just totally different than what he did at Washington and he bricked one and it just looked like, you know, his free throw percentage at Washington was not great as is. And it, he basically looked like Dwight Howard trying to shoot uh, at the line. He luckily came out and said he was just kind of tinkering with it and he's not going to actually do that in real games. He was just playing around with it. But what do you think, uh, you know, what do you think expectations are for Markel Fultz this year? as the number one pick, but, you know, playing alongside a fellow number one pick in Ben Simmons, and then, again, knock on wood, uh, also a game-changing talent in Joel Embiid. I think there's probably a pretty big difference between what Sixers fans' expectations are, what basketball Twitter's expectations are, what the actual Sixers' expectations are, and what the expectations should be. Um, Sixers fans' expectations are basically that he's going to be an all-star right away. Basketball Twitter's <laughs> expectations are basically that he's going to be really good offensively and really bad defensively. The Sixers' expectations probably fall somewhere in between that. Um, you know, actual expectations to me, I think, like, people need to remember that uh, most rookies are bad. Joel Embiid stepping on the court and immediately being, like, during the time he's on the floor, one of, like, the 30 best players in the league last year, if not better than that is wildly out of the ordinary and we shouldn't expect that from Fultz and we shouldn't expect that from Simmons. I think that if he scores, if he shoots well off the catch, if he shows the ability to create his own shot, not even necessarily make it yet. I think it's important to just see that he can actually get his own shot against NBA defenses, which I don't think will be a problem for him. Like that's, 
that's a skill that is pretty transferable, and I think he'll be able to do that. Um, those are the things that I want to see from him, and I want to see him actually like give a shit that the defensive end of the floor exists, which was right. not the case at Washington. So for me, that's what yeah. I'm looking for. I know Sixers fans are looking for a heck of a lot more than that. I think they should be prepared to be disappointed on that front because, again, most rookies are bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's going to come down to, you know, because they gave up what could be uh, so much to get him, they gave up number three, and then what could be the number two pick in either 2018 or 2019, and because there was the Fultz versus Ball debate. like Yeah, there was not a debate to me. Like, he was the best player in the draft. He was the number one pick. He's going to be really good. It's just probably not going to happen this year. Yeah, and I think it's going to be similar to the Frankie Smokes versus Dennis Smith thing. Like, if Dennis Smith puts up big numbers and Frankie Smokes takes a little bit of time, people are going to say, oh, the Knicks screwed up. And then, like, Lonzo, they are clearly building their entire team around Lonzo Ball. So, like, he's going to put up better numbers than Markel Fultz as a rookie. I'm pretty convinced of that. Like, Lonzo is the front runner to win Rookie of the Year. Fultz is, like, fourth or fifth on the list. He's behind Lonzo, Dennis Smith, and Ben Simmons. So like I'm I'm keeping my expectations in check for faults. I think that as you mentioned, Jared, defense is definitely something I hope to see more. You know, he had like his steals and blocks numbers were actually pretty good in Washington because he would like do these like highlight real chase down blocks. But like just on a possession by possession basis, I want him to be more locked in on that end. And I think you know playing alongside guys like Simmons and Bead. J.J. Redick, Robert Covington, he won't have to take over. Like, at Washington, he was the only reliable offensive option on that team. So, like, he had to (laughs) devote so much attention to that end that he couldn't probably, like, save his energy for defense. So I'm hoping that we see a little bit more well-roundedness from him, even if it comes at the expense of his scoring. And then offensively, I've been saying it all summer, like, the only thing that could really thwart this Simmons faults thing from taking off. Like we've seen teams with multiple ball handlers. That's only a benefit as long as those guys keep their ego in check. And like if faults is really okay with, you know, he was a point guard at Washington, but he's going to play like mostly off the balls, like a rich man's Patrick Beverly, like what he did in Houston last year. Then that's great. And that like that partnership could really thrive. But if like, if the Sixers get off to a rough start and Simmons struggles early and Fultz starts demanding the ball more, you know, it, it, things could go south quickly. So I'm just hoping to see those guys all put their egos aside and, like, just do whatever is best for the team and listen to Brett Brown and, like, just stick to the system. Um, more, Robert Covington is eligible for renegotiation and extension come mid-November. The Sixers saved, I think, about $15 million in cap space uh, this offseason, which I do not believe was an accident. So they've, he's, Covington has already said um, they've, they're talking about an extension. Um, he's hopeful to sign one. So if you're the Sixers, how much are you willing to give Covington once that uh, mid-November deadline rolls around? Yeah, probably $15 million a year. Sounds about right. I mean, look at the market. He's a strong defender. He can shoot. He had a little down year, though. Um, he's a great rebounder for a, a wing. He can play the four. He can play the three. I, I'm really digging his fit 
uh, for Philly. And I know a lot of people are looking at him, oh, he's not like a long-term uh, piece of the puzzle. I think he is. His defense is extremely valuable. And $15 million a year, I, I don't think that's an overpay. Yeah, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll get him for less, like just because yeah. of the market dynamics this summer, and he knows next summer it's going to be even worse. Um, you know, if you can get him at four years, fifty million, I do that in like uh, <laughs> yeah, immediately, just immediately, immediately. So I, I, I think he's definitely. You're right. He's definitely a piece of the future there. You know, he hasn't shot above 40% from three since his rookie year in Houston. He's never shot above 40% uh, overall, actually, uh, in his three years in Philly. But again, it's the same thing with Okafor. Like, he hasn't... Probably the best point guard he's played with is Ish Smith. No offense to Ish, but, like, you know, that's not Ben Simmons or Markel Fultz. So I think having those guys, having Embiid, having Redick, like, he's going to shoot a, a career high from the field this year and as you mentioned Mort his defense is superb you know (laughs) it's it's a running joke on basketball Twitter that like it's when you bring up Robert Covington you always have to mention that he led the league in deflections per 36 minutes but he did and that wasn't like the prior season he was right up there too so not only does he come up with a lot of steals but he's just such a crafty swarming defender that you know, thwarting passing lanes, like Nerlens Noel back when he was in Philly did that too. Like he didn't come up with a steal every time, but just getting in the way and making that your opponent have to think that extra millisecond like can make a difference. So I really hope to see Covington sign to an extension, part of the long-term future. He's been there since the beginning. He is the embodiment. You know, the process was draft picks and uh, undrafted players. Like, 10-day contracts, undrafted free agents. So you got the draft picks and Embiid, Simmons, Fultz, Covington, and TJ McConnell are the other side of that. So I hope both of those guys stick around, frankly. Uh, All right, let's move in to our division predictions. So how we see the division shaking out from top to bottom. Sarah, let's start with you. Uh, Let's go Boston. Toronto. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> let's see I know you're not oh, you're about thinking to about it you are not about yeah. to pick one of these terrible New York teams over the Sixers <laughs> yeah you are I just wanted to make you think a little bit <laughs> yeah Sixers and Nets and Knicks Knicks last Jared how about you yeah, I mean I think everybody's probably going to have the same top three and then like the Knicks and Nets mm-hmm. I mean who cares they're both going to be really bad um, one will be worse than the other by accident. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's a good way of phrasing it. Uh, Mort, how do you see? You t- same top yeah. three, and then do you have a preference on Knicks or Nets? Yeah, Knicks at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I will say this, because of all the new faces in Boston, and, and assuming that Kyle Lowry stays healthy, it wouldn't surprise me if Toronto actually was the better overall record team. Not that there would be the better team in the playoffs, but I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto had a better record at the end of the regular season. Interesting. I mean, well, it's not probably not by much, even if it is, right. but I'm just saying I wouldn't, it's, they probably still finish first Boston, but mm-hmm. just saying I w- it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, four guys returning, a lot of rookies, a lot of second year players. It's just, 
there's there's an adjustment period, obviously. Yeah, I think I want to say Matt Moore of CBS Sports has been pimping Toronto as a possible number one seed in the East because yeah, for that I mean, reason. But it, again, it's like everything has to break right. If if Lowry goes down, if DeRozan goes down, lights right. out on that dream. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's to, it's not the most outlandish thing you predicted on this podcast. I'll give you that. <laughs> Uh, I, I I can't even count all the outlandish things I've said on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I really erred on the side of going second with them because I just assumed something's probably going to go wrong health wise. Yeah, in true Toronto fashion, Kyle Lowry has to miss at least twenty games. Yeah, but uh, I'm Boston, Toronto, Philly. I think Nets are pretty clearly above the Knicks. I think the Knicks defense is just going to be an absolute tire fire this year. And I I, I mean they're going to be. I don't know. I think they might be a bottom three team in the league now. I think it's them, the Bulls, and I guess Phoenix. But that's it, they are going to be a, a special kind of awful to watch. But good for them for at least tanking at the right year. Uh, so, Sarah, how many playoff teams do you see coming out of this division? Well, you know, I toyed with, with wanting to put the Sixers in, but uh, I don't think I can do it just yet. Um, <laughs> there's definitely some talent there, but but I don't think I can. So I'm gonna go to, like you said, Boston and Toronto. Uh, although I, there are teams that I want to keep my eye on, like I'm I'm putting Charlotte in tentatively, but I, you know we talked about the the fit there with Dwight and <laughs> was it fan sided or fan rag? I should have paid more attention, but there was a article that just came out a few days ago talked about. Atlanta players being thrilled mm, when yep. Dwight was traded. Yeah, so, that, that was from a Zach yeah. Lowe like podcast appearance or something. But yeah. Okay, so yeah, that you know that could blow up, and if it does, they could be in some big trouble. But we'll see. I I like you almost putting the Sixers in there. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Jared, how about you? How many playoff teams do you see from this division? Yeah, I gotta go with two. Also, um, I think the Sixers certainly have a higher ceiling than a bunch of the other, you know, five to eight contenders, if you want to call them that, uh, <laughs> in the East. But you really can't count on Joel Embiid playing, like, any games at all. So I don't yeah. know how you can pencil them in for a playoff spot. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Martin, like, if same. I knew that Joel yeah. Embiid was going to play even 50 games, I'd say, like, yeah, they could probably take the eight seed just because... Mm-hmm. The four of us and Joel Embiid could probably take the eight seed. <laughs> right. But, yep. I mean, again, like, he, the guy has played 786 minutes in three years. You cannot count on him being on the floor, period. Yeah, and the fact he hasn't been cleared at training camp, you know, he had surgery eight months ago at this point, and it was supposed to be a pretty minor injury. You know, they're saying we're just being hyper-conservative, but I think we've all learned not to trust the Sixers medical staff with anything, so... Yeah, I'm with you, Jared. I like at this point, I would be pleasantly surprised if we get 50 games out of Embiid, 25 minutes a game. That would be beyond my expectations. Even that, that would like what 50 times 25. That's 12, he'd more than 50. double his career minutes, like 1250. Yeah. Like that's you know 150, 167 percent of the minutes that he played last year. You know, yeah. that's even that might be expecting is probably expecting too much. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not expecting that by any means. It's like, if, if that is, I feel like that's probably the baseline where they could be a realistic playoff contender if you get that much out of him. But, I, I mean, I would, 
at this point, I don't even know if we're going to get as much out of him this year as we did last year. Um, uh, these non-updates are having me increasingly pessimistic. Um, Mort, how about you? How many playoff teams from this division? Yeah, two, two at this point. If by some miracle Embiid actually plays 50-55 games like you guys, I'm also very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Then I, I'm definitely thinking they, they could make it. However, if Embiid misses the whole year, I'm actually putting them below Brooklyn. Whoa! Yeah. What? Oh my god. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no. Yeah. That is, oh yeah, yeah. That is just... Who, who's playing center for Brooklyn? We talked about this. Rashad I know. Is I know. Mozgov. Come on. But but like but like Jared said, which I agree with, rookies yeah. S- yeah. struggle. And it, I mean Ben Simmons still a rookie. I know that he had a year on the sideline that's going to help a lot, but he still can't shoot. Markell is going to struggle defensively. Uh, there's just so many components there that are missing. So um, if they are going to be a shit show yeah. if Embiid misses the whole year. Yeah, I don't think he's. Gonna and miss which the whole which I hope that he doesn't right. obviously because he's a he's fantastic. Yeah, and and he's he's trying so damn hard every year to get back. I feel so sorry for him. It's every year. Yeah, it's it's really it is crushing. Not just from a Philly perspective, but just in a yeah. like he. Even if I wasn't from Philly, he would be my favorite player in the NBA right now just because he's so goddamn entertaining, and I just want him There's to be There's just healthy. such a Grand Hill vibe to him, right? I mean, yeah. like Grand Hill in Orlando, like every damn season you're going like, oh, Grant, Grant is there, him and McGrady, it's it's on now, yeah. and then... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, I, I will keep my fingers crossed that he surprises us all and stays healthy the whole year and plays more than anyone could reasonably expect. But like you guys, mm. I am taking two playoff teams. I think Detroit takes the eighth seed, and it pains me to say that. But if Embiid stays healthy, then next year I'll pencil them in for a top four seed, especially when LeBron James signs with them as a free agent in 2018. <laughs> no? No reaction? Okay, cool. No reaction. <laughs> just, we're numb. Good. It's white noise. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, Jared, special thanks to you. Uh, just can you remind our listeners one more time where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me again. Um, I'm on Twitter at jadubin5. You can find a link in my bio to everywhere that I write and have written pop up throughout the season at Vice Sports, at Fanside, it's The Step Back, several other places as well. Very good, yeah. Please give Jared a follow. He's a really good follow even if you're not a Knicks fan just some general NBA talk always on that account as well uh, again you can find us on Twitter at the NBA pod you can find all of our handles in our bio so give us a follow as well you can also find us on iTunes so please subscribe download leave some reviews we'd love any feedback and we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined by Morton Jensen, Sarah Chalea, and Jared Dubin. Have a good one, you all. You too, Brian. You You too. too. Viva Embiid. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clear. 
clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the progressive box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.